the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. These are the charter members of the church at Philippi. You got a lady who works for Joanne Fabrics. You got a demon-delivered diva. And you've got a Philippian jailer, the warden of the prison. The prison warden. And probably, don't you know, I suspect, although the Bible doesn't say, this is a little speculation on my part, I suspect probably some of the prisoners too got saved as well. So you got, you got the warden and you got some ex-cons and, and you got a lady at Joanne Fabrics and you got a demon-delivered diva. That's the church. Isn't that wonderful how God can use anybody? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philippians. Today, Pastor Gary reminds us that we each have a calling and a purpose from God, and that the Lord can use us even when we don't realize it. Have you ever held the door for someone? Lent an umbrella on a rainy day or bought someone's meal when they were down on their luck. These acts of kindness and many others are simple ways that you can show God's love to others. However, sometimes He has a larger purpose or action that He needs our help with. Now, you may be thinking, oh, He couldn't possibly use me. But Pastor Gary wants you to know that He can and He will. All you have to do is ask for His guiding hand. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Philippians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're going to be the book of Philippians, so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to give a a brief backdrop to the letter to the church at Philippi, a little bit about Philippi, the city, a little bit about the purpose of writing, and then Paul's writing this letter, and then we'll read it, and we'll start to dig it out verse by verse, so that's what we're going to do here, and Lord willing, we may get through chapter 1, but we'll see how far we get Uh, This letter addressed to the Philippians, these are the believers who uh, make up the church at Philippi. Philippi is a, uh, was a, an ancient city in Macedonia, which is now today on modern Greece. If you were to look at a map, you'd find Philippi located in modern Greece. Uh, Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, named this city after himself in 356 BC. So that by the time Paul gets here and he preaches the gospel, this, this town has been well occupied for 400 years. Yeah, Paul will travel here during his second missionary journey, 
in response to a vision that he has in Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to go back to Acts 16 and kind of give the background to the letter to the Philippians so that we have the context to this whole letter. But he goes there in response to this vision that he has in Acts chapter 16, the year roughly somewhere between 50 and 53 A.D., uh, there was no Jewish presence in this, in this city. It was almost exclusively a Gentile population in Paul's day of about 10,000 to 15,000 people. It was considered uh, to be little Rome because Philippi had a Roman garrison there. It was a Roman outpost. And history tells us that a lot of Roman uh, officers would retire from the army and then relocate there to Philippi. It was kind of like the South Florida of today. Uh, kind of, you know, you, you got your social security card and then you headed to Philippi and that's, that's the way it would be. And the presence of these retired Roman uh, army officers would keep this a strong Roman presence. And so it was said in ancient times that you would go to Philippi and it was like you were going to a little Rome itself because it had all the resemblance of the city of Rome. Uh, and Paul establishes a church here in response to his preaching. People are going to get saved. We're going we're to hear about this again from Acts 16. And, and he establishes this church, and then he writes a letter to them. That's what we're going to read here about 10 years after he first visited Philippi. So the writing of the letter is sometime around 62 AD, while he is a prisoner in Rome. He's going to write this letter to them. The main theme of this letter is joy. That word joy or some form of it or the word rejoice or some form of it appears 14 times in just four chapters. And we'll notice when we get to chapter four, he really drives it home at the end when he talks about rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, rejoice. How many of you grew up singing that song in Sunday school? All right. And we would sing it in rounds too. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then the next group rejoice. So that's the theme here. Now, that's the theme, but it's not necessarily the purpose of his writing. He's going to have joy all throughout these chapters here. But the, the main purpose for his writing uh, this letter is threefold. Number one, it is a thank you letter to this church for their support, their financial support in particular. He's going to make reference to it in chapter 1. He's going to make reference to it again in chapter 4. And he's going to give an update on his condition because they've heard that he's a prisoner in Rome. So he takes the time to write a thank you letter for their support and to give them an update on his personal condition. Number two, we're going to see in this letter, though it's only four chapters, he gives a strong warning about false teachers. He's going to call false teachers out. He's going to talk about the warning of false doctrine. He's going to highlight like them. And number three, he pleads for unity in the church. There was some disunity and he's going to address it and he's going to call out in particular a couple of ladies who are, who are uh, it, it seems to be the source of some of the disagreement here. He's going to call them out by name and, um, and, and he's going to address unity in the church. So that's mainly the purpose of his writing this letter, those three reasons. So I'm going to read here with you from chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read down just through verse 11, and um, Lord willing, we'll, we'll then come back and dissect these verses and perhaps even look at all of chapter 1. But for the moment, let me read only verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to that verse? It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, that's that reference to him being in in prison there in Rome, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, as I mentioned in the opening remarks to our study here, I don't think we can fully appreciate the letter to the Philippians unless we first kind of summarize again Acts chapter 16. So you don't need to turn there. I'm going to summarize it for you. But there's a lot that went on in Acts chapter 16 that I think helps to frame the context of the letter to the Philippian church located there in Philippi. Um, so here's the backdrop. Acts 16 gives us the record of Paul's second missionary journey when he travels to uh, the region of Macedonia, which is the ancient word for modern Greece. He's traveling there with Silas, his missionary partner, and uh, he didn't really have any intentions of going to Macedonia. We find out as we read Acts chapter 16 that it is because of a vision that he has that he ends up going there. This will be the first time that the gospel goes to Europe, because up until this point, Paul's first missionary journey was throughout the region of Turkey on a map today of Asia Minor, and now he's going to go into Macedonia, and he didn't have any intentions of going there, but the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that in the middle of the night, Paul has this vision. And he has this vision of this man who appears to him. We don't know if it's a dream or if it's actually something that Paul sees in his uh, waking moments. But there's this vision of this man who appears to Paul and says, come to Macedonia and help us. And Paul, in response to that vision, believes that it is God's direction for them to go to Macedonia. So they get on a boat, they, they go across the Aegean Sea, and they end up there in Uh, Philippi in Macedonia, where for the first time again, the gospel comes to Europe. Now, when Paul gets to Philippi, the Bible says that on the Sabbath day, this is all again the summary of Acts 16, on the Sabbath day, Paul went to a place of prayer, but there was no synagogue, which tells us something again of the makeup of Philippi, that there was not even 10 Jewish men in all of the town of Philippi, because when there were at least 10 Jewish men in any town, they built a synagogue. There was no synagogue, it tells us. And so Paul ends up going to the place of prayer down by the river. There was a river there by Philippi, and he goes there to a place of prayer. Now, why would he go to the river for a place of prayer? Because in the absence of a Jewish synagogue, the Jews would have a makeshift synagogue, and they would go anywhere where they would see a clear reflection of God. If you like the water, if you like the mountains, if you like the beach, you're going to go someplace where you see a clear reflection of God, right? So for Paul, it was like, we're going to go down to the river because it would be there that in the, in the beauty of nature, he would connect with God. He would see God. 
No substitute for church, by the way. I have people once in a while say to me, I just commune with God in the woods. Well, good, but get to church too. But anyway, (laughs) he goes down by the river for a place of prayer. Acts 16 tells us that there he meets several women. They're doing typically what that would be done in those days. They're probably doing their laundry there by the river, or they're socializing, or they're gathering fresh water, or all of the above. Among the women located there in Philippi, down by the river, is a lady by the name of Lydia. The Bible says she is from a town called Thyatira, and that she is a dealer of purple cloth which was a very specialized profession in that day because purple was extracted from crushing certain shellfish that was indigenous to the location. And by crushing the shellfish, they would extract this this reddish dye and then they would be able to dye material into this beautiful purple. So it probably meant she was a wealthy woman because that was a very exclusive trade. She's one down there by the river. The Bible says she was a dealer of purple cloth and that she was a worshiper of God. Now, remember when we broadcast back from Israel on location in Caesarea Maritima that we talked about the story of Cornelius, and he was a worshiper of God too. But just like Cornelius, Lydia did not have an understanding of Jesus. And there's a big difference between just knowing about God and having a relationship with Jesus. Everybody understand this, right? There are a lot of people in our world that know about God, might even call themselves a worshiper of God, but unless they know Jesus in a personal relationship, they don't really know God. And so Lydia didn't understand a relationship she could have with God. It says she was a worshiper of God, but Paul helped her to connect the dots. So he shares the gospel with her, and Acts 16 says she gets saved. Now keep her in mind for the moment, but I'm going to go through the rest of Acts 16. Along the way, it also tells us that on another occasion, Paul goes to a place of prayer, and there's this slave girl. This slave girl, she was actually owned, back in the days, first century Rome. She was owned by people who were using her for financial gain. It says that she was a slave girl who was, King James says, had a spirit of divination, And IV says she could predict the future. You know why she could predict the future? Because King James tells us she had a spirit of divination. She was possessed. She was possessed by a demon. And the possession of this demon within her allowed her to predict the future. Not necessarily always right, but it would be enough that people would pay for her services. So it'd be like going to get your palm read or read my cards or whatever it is. And so she's like the Jean Dixon of the day, right? So she's like this fortune teller. And so she's predicting the future because she's possessed by a demon. Now, the Bible says that she goes around following Paul and Silas. And she starts proclaiming wherever they went. She's, she's tagging along with them. And she starts proclaiming, these men are the men of the Most High God. They tell you the way to be saved. There's a demon-possessed girl telling people how to get saved. Not explaining the plan, but telling people that Paul and Silas know the way to be saved. Listen to them, she says. Now, Paul had enough of this after a few days. Now, I don't know whether if it was the voice or the vessel that she was, but it's probably not a good idea to have a demon-possessed person tagging around you trying to tell other people about how good you are. I don't know if she was like, these men are the most high God. Ah." I don't know if it was the voice or if it was just the vessel. You know, I started to try to think of how to illustrate this. And I started thinking about, you know, think about somebody in the media right now that you don't want to be associated with. And I, I was going to, you know, give some examples. And I thought that's not, probably not a good idea to compare anybody to a demon-possessed girl. 
Okay, but think for a moment about somebody in the media or whatever that, uh, from Hollywood or whatever, done inappropriate things, whatever. And, and, uh, and, and that person is your publicity agent. And they're walking around with you and they're telling everybody, you need to listen to this person. They know what they're talking about. You need to listen to this person. After a few days, you'd be like, I, I don't want to be associated with you. You're going to give me a bad name. So this is what's happening. Now, Paul turns to this girl who's going around saying a true thing. But how many of you understand even the devil can lie to us by telling us things that are true? He can twist things enough to distract out of what is really the truth. And Paul rebukes the demon and casts the demon out of this girl. She gets delivered. She gets saved. She gets set free. Well, good for her, not good for business. You lose the demon, you can't be predicting the future anymore. So now her owners are all jacked up. They're all upset at Paul because now you've, you've delivered our slave girl from this demon and now she can't predict the future anymore and business is going down the tank. They're so outraged, they stir up confusion in the town, drag Paul and Silas before the magistrate. The magistrate has these guys beaten and thrown in prison. For what? They shared the truth of the gospel. People were getting saved and delivered. But they end up in jail. Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas are there in the prison. And they start just praying and singing hymns to God. Silas is like, hey, Paul, how about that one? You know, your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. And so they're singing that in the prison. And and all of a sudden, the Bible says an earthquake happens and all the prison doors open up. Now, the jailer, the Roman jailer, who's supposed to keep guarding all these prisoners, now sees that all the prison doors have flung open, and the Bible says he's ready to fall on his sword. Because in those days, if you were a Roman soldier and you had people under your watch that you were guarding, and anything happened to them whereby they escaped, the punishment that was intended for them would now be imposed upon you. And the Philippian jailer knew all these prisoners are going to run free because of the earthquake that's opened up all these prison doors. I'm good as dead. I might as well fall on my sword before I'm tortured by my own Roman people. And so he's about to kill himself when Paul interrupts it and says, don't do that. Don't. We're all here. All the prisoners had stayed. They didn't go anywhere. Paul says, we're all here. Don't do this. And the Philippian jailer, the jailer says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Wow. What a wonderful opportunity. That's, that's one of those moments when every light on your dashboard is going off. You know, this occasion here where this Philippian jailer is like asking Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul says in Acts 16, it's like verse 30 or 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Why have we complicated it so much? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And he believes. And he and his whole household get saved. And then Paul and Silas are eventually freed, and and there's another part to that story I won't go into. But here's the reason I wanted to share all of that. When Paul first gets to Philippi, he leads Lydia to Christ. Then the slave girl who was demon-possessed gets delivered. She comes to faith. Now this Philippian jailer in his household. All right? You start a church. These are the first people. These, these are the charter members of the church at Philippi. You got a lady who works for Joanne Fabrics. 
You got a demon delivered diva, and you've got a Philippian jailer, the warden of the prison. The prison warden, and probably, don't you know, I suspect, although the Bible doesn't say, this is a little speculation on my part, I suspect probably some of the prisoners too got saved as well. So you got, you got the warden, and you got some ex-cons, and, and you got a lady at Joanne Fabrics, and you got a demon-delivered diva. That's the church. Isn't that wonderful how God can use anybody? Ten years later, Paul is in prison. Now he's in Rome, and he's writing to this church that has now flourished because he's going to address it here to the saints and the overseers and the deacons. So he's going to talk to the Christians and the leadership and those who have a serving role. And so this church has flourished because it's been a God thing that started with a few very unsuspecting people. So here we are, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy. So Timothy is his traveling companion at this time. They're both servants of Christ Jesus. Circle that word servant in your Bible. It's the Greek word doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. Uh, it is a word that Paul uses in, in different places. Uh, and not just Paul, Jude uses it, uh, Peter uses it, James uses it in their epistles as well. Uh, doulos, a servant or a bondservant of Christ Jesus. It is taken from the Jewish concept of Old Testament understanding of a Hebrew slave. In Exodus chapter 21, the Jewish law made provision that if you got yourself into a difficult circumstance, usually a difficult financial circumstance, and you couldn't dig your way out of it, you could sell yourself, not in, a, in an immoral way, uh, although you know, slavery in itself is immoral, but in, in terms of what I'm talking about and the, and the ancient Hebrew law, you could actually give yourself and, and sell yourself in terms of like your services and become employed by a master for six years. This is what Exodus 21 tells us. But it says that on the seventh year, under Hebrew law, that person who sold themselves in, in this indentured servant kind of a capacity, was to be set free on the seventh year so that it would never be a perpetual thing where it would never be this inhumane treatment of man against man. After six years, you'd be able to get yourself back on your feet, and, and so the Jewish law made provision. So for six years, okay, but seventh year, you were to be freed unless you loved your master so much and his family and you've been treated so wonderfully as a member of the family and not as some subservient person, you actually felt like you fit into the household, you fit into the family, you were treated well, you were loved and you loved them in return. You could go to your master in that seventh year and say, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And I want to be marked as belonging to you for life. And in Exodus 21, it tells us that then the master would take... He would investigate. Okay, are you sure about this? Yeah, I love your family. I have a wife now and kids. We want to stay together with you and we love you guys. You guys love us. We can see this. Okay. And so the master would take the servant to the door of the home. And it tells us in Exodus 21 that the master would take an awl, all right, a pointed, sharp object, and would pierce his ear against the door. So he'd line up up against the door frame and drive an awl in. Now, I don't know what size gauges and all that deal, but anyway, but that's the thing that they would do. And then that would mark them as belonging for life to that master. But it was a voluntary act of servitude, saying, I love you, I know you love me, and so I voluntarily become a doulos in the New Testament, a bondservant. And this is the term that 
that Paul is using here. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I have willingly, if you will, I've had my ear pierced against the wall because I love the Lord and I know he loves me and I willingly surrender to his lordship, not under compulsion. I'm doing this because of my love for him and his love for me. That's doulos. Philippians is such a happy little book. Its pages are filled with rejoicing and encouragement and reminders that there's hope in the midst of struggle. The Apostle Paul was enthusiastic and complimentary in this letter to his brothers and sisters in Christ, and the instructions you find within its pages are relevant to you still today. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary Hamrick in studying this New Testament book of Philippians today on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear more from this series or explore additional books of the Bible, you can do so at cornerstoneconnection.cc or download our mobile app to take these messages on the go with you. Each day contains mundane tasks that can be filled with God's Word, and that's made easier when you have it conveniently located on your mobile device. Find a link to download our app at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you too, so if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We'll have a time of worship and Bible study, and we're always excited to meet new people. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor Gary has more to share from his verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians, so join us again on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.